0: Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Coaching Nuggets podcast. To make the most of who you are, this podcast exists to bring you coaching nuggets, small bits of wisdom, insight, or challenge that will free you to be more you. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Joe Rice, the CEO and co-founder of Resergo, You'll hear Rosogo be mentioned a few times in the series because Rosogo was once described to me as the teach first for coaching. And it's where I and so many others learned how to coach. It's a charity and they have a mission to transform society for the better. And they do that by coaching young people who are facing some kind of disadvantage and are unemployed into employment. They also support new businesses through their ventures program and they run corporate coaching programs through their consultancy work. Jo oversees over 40 coaches who are all trained to ICF coaching standards, and Jo herself has been coaching since 2002. She is a phenomenal coach. Um, she's a lovely family friend of ours as well, and I think I must have known Jo since I was about eight or something, um, but she also used to be my manager's 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 manager that's five. (laughs) So you can get a sense of her influence and experience. She bakes the nicest banana bread I've ever had. And she has also got the most precious puppy called Willow. In this episode, Jo refers to transactional analysis and speaks about the parent, adult and child voice. For context, adult voice is when we believe I'm okay, you're okay parent voice is I'm okay you're not okay and child voice is I'm not okay you are okay and she'll explain this in more detail um, the profound effects that this can have on our day-to-day and so let's get started
1: I love that you're under a blanket
0: I also love that I'm under a blanket. It's also 100% wool, because mum is trying to like support the local farmers, which is great, but it also means I'm sweating a lot, it's so
1: hot. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Emerging for 10 minutes from lockdown two, anticipating going back into tier three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yay. So spending a lot of time in parks.
0: Well, I imagine as well you're with... Um, precious willow
1: yes you might be able to hear scratching the carpet underneath me
0: <laughs>
1: she is here she's doing very well um willow is very much a lockdown puppy but she has changed my life she's properly spectacular willow come here it's editing you
0: i've kind of done a brief summary of what you do and all of the extraordinary things that fill your days but um Do you want to just summarise, I guess, in your own words, how would you describe your kind of role or what a normal day looks like for you as Uh CEO of Resergo? I don't know if that's an impossible question to answer.
1: Well, no, gloriously, um, most days aren't that normal, which is the best bit about my job. So uh, today I had a meeting with some of the board members about strategy and finance, and then I had a meeting with an amazing musician about uh, talking to him about being an ambassador for the charity. Wow. And then I had a member a meeting with another member team talking about people and culture issues. And now I'm talking to you. and then I'll go into another strategy meeting, and then I'm interviewing for a head of department role. So that's my day to day. So it's definitely not dull. (laughs) Yeah, but my job is amazing because there is this crazy variety and one minute you're with a young person who's overcome incredible challenge and the next you're with the Minister for Employment. And that was Friday, you know, so. um, So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, really, really interesting.
0: And how does coaching kind
1: of play a part in your normal day to day, would you say? So yesterday afternoon, I was running a group coaching session with the board of one of the big insurance companies. So sometimes it's direct focused coaching. And sometimes it's much more, it's just much more about how do I deploy a coaching methodology in the way that I run an organization and encourage the team and challenge the team and line manage so some of it's much more focused and intentional and very much I'm now in coaching mode and sometimes yeah. it's just in the way I suppose I'm deploying coaching in the way in which I go about all my other activities
0: that makes sense so sometimes it's much more like I am doing a job of being a coach and yeah then sometimes it's much more I'm living and breathing the kind of coaching values in order to do my job yeah yeah. yeah. And I guess with with the world where you're kind of doing your job as a coach, one of the things I'm struck by your role is that you are meeting and coaching people just from such a breadth of the kind of cross section of society. So you'll coach a young person as you say who's just overcome a challenge, they've just completed the spear program, they're now in employment and they haven't ever had a job before. All the yeah. way- board meeting members um of a finance or an insurance company or you know those that you line manage you'll be coaching them I guess I'm interested like what are the themes that you coach people on that actually transcend power influence money social status and it's actually just because you're human you have this challenge or this theme or this topic
1: oh there are so many things that overlap I think one of the things that um when I trained as a corporate coach there were various things that I didn't learn that I had to learn when starting to work with young people, which now I find incredibly useful in a corporate environment. Now, coaching's moved on in the 20 years that I've been in the sector, so it's probably not that unusual. But 20 years ago, when I was learning to coach, we didn't really talk much about transactional analysis and the parent-adult-child dynamic. Now, of course, when you start working with young people, that very quickly comes into play. And as soon as we found out about eric burns study then we were like oh gosh this is fantastically useful to to apply in how we work with young people more and more i go into a boardroom and i'm like oh gosh there are all kinds of parent-child dynamics going on here that are marginally more disguised but not a lot and the way that people interact on a parent-child basis in the corporate world and for young people who sort of have a legitimate reason to behave like a child, because they're not very old, um, is really interesting. And I think that has been probably the most one of the most useful tools when I'm working. It's very unusual that I'm working with a client and transactional analysis doesn't come up as a model at some stage um, because of the influence that that parent-child dynamic is having on the way someone is understanding a particular relationship or dynamic that they're they're struggling with um and I suppose within that one of the things that I've realized over time is that and this has probably become the soundtrack to my life not least because I too struggle with it is the realization that we're all sort of wired to want to believe ourselves to be victims at some level we want people to believe that the things that we're struggling with are worthy of attention and and concern and sometimes they are but the victim mentality i think is a temptation that we all are dealing with all the time and our capacity to manage it varies but again i you know i i think that's part of the human condition that we all need to work to overcome i think that's what adulthood means is learning to navigate that temptation to victimhood
0: and what are the main things you've mentioned there the parent voice the child voice as part of transactional analysis and i guess the victim playing its part in that as well what are the main kind of um i guess manifestations that you
1: notice of people in parent voice or people in child voice often funnily enough i find parent voice i think parent voice is at at its most irritating is actually the nurturing parent so actually, I think often where it goes undetected, people know if, if someone's being a bully, that, that becomes quite obvious. And it's quite clear that that's inappropriate behaviour.
0: It
1: yeah. doesn't always get addressed, mind you, <laughs> but it's quite obvious that, that this really isn't the way to conduct yourself. I think the more subtle version is the nurturing parent. So that kind of, OK, then, Beck. so what we're going to do now Um, that very sort of nurturing but actually fundamentally very patronising and disempowering tone which I think um, gets more airtime and it's less uh, recognised for what it is. Um, So I think a lot of people are working in a context where they're like, I know I find this person frustrating and I have no idea because it seems so nice. Mm. (laughs) Actually, they are nice, they're also patronising. Yeah, And and what sits beneath that niceness is actually a belief that they actually hold the answers and you don't. So I think that's probably the most subtle way I see it playing out. And again, for the child voice, uh, funnily enough, I think in this time in history, the child voice has been slightly legitimised in this anti-authoritarian thing. we're in so down with the government down with politicians they're all you know it's actually quite sort of i have no power and they have all power and um deflecting responsibility but it's a very um popular and accepted narrative right now which i think leaves us quite vulnerable to ending up in quite a child voice in the way that ego state in the way that we interact generally in life or believe ourselves to operate in life
0: yeah which I guess is so interesting because that child voice that you're just talking about there plus the victim kind of mentality that you mentioned earlier they're both so attractive aren't they like they're oh. so it's so nice to sit in victim and to yeah. feel um I don't know if it's like entitlement or just feel, it, it almost just feels like comfortable and and like it's just so attractive and and I think that's why so many people are really happy there Um, but what would I guess from your experience of of kind of coaching people or just interacting with people either in child voice or victim what are the main reasons that someone would get themselves out of that
1: well I think if we understand coaching at its core as raising awareness and helping to people people to take responsibility I think when when you help someone Raise awareness. So as long as you define yourself by your victimhood, you will remain a victim. Like that's the only outcome of that definition. So in order for you to not be in this position that you say you don't want to be about, as you say, there's something quite soothing about the passivity that you can engage in, yeah. if you're a victim, you don't have to sort of hold anything. I think there's something about making people aware of what the consequences of not stepping out of it are. And in coaching terms, that, classic heaven and hell dynamic so if you remain believing that you have no agency and no control over your life and you're just a victim of what happens to you how is life going to play out for you do you think and often they haven't thought about that because because you're consumed with thinking about why you're in the position you're in whereas as soon as you say to someone, so if you were to think differently about this and to make some different choices where could you end up i think you open up a whole raft of possibility and I think sometimes people get into that place because hopelessness has descended and they've lost a vision for what could be and what is possible and so sometimes I think as a coach your role is to help them imagine what might be possible if they were to get themselves out of that.
0: I love that one of the I always remember from when I was doing the ICF training at Spear and one of my favorite ICF quotes was something like the coach's role is to have an unending belief in your client's resourcefulness. Yeah. Word resourcefulness of like, there are resources for you to use in order to get over this. And my belief is that there is, that doesn't end, like that goes kind of forever in terms of what you could do to overcome this. Yeah. Um, It reminded me of that. It's one of my absolute favorite kind of coaching mantras almost. Yeah. um And so then in line with that, what do you see in, again, the breadth of people that you coach? to be some of the main breakthroughs that causes the greatest change in someone's life?
1: It's funny that, because it always surprises me. There aren't many clients where I go, Oh yeah, I knew that was going to be the thing okay. that hit you. Really? <laughs> yeah. I just often find that people come back to the next session going, you know what really hit me last time? And you're like, the, the little aside that... Yeah, that felt really inconsequential to me was a real landing point for you. Um, And I mean, it wasn't that incredible
0: I came up with and (laughs) from start to
1: finish. That didn't resonate. (laughs) I so know what you mean. Um, And sometimes it's the really basic things. Um, Well, I don't know whether they are basic. I think when you've been coaching for a while, you start to there's this risk of um, despising the familiar. So when you've been doing one kind of personality profile for a while, you, I mean, the one we dominate is in is the CME Colors. And I've been doing that for, well, since, yeah, 20 years now. And um, so I'm like, well, obviously everybody knows about that. <laughs> and then, you know, you're in a coaching session, you, you sort of talk people through that, sort of assuming that they sort of that. And they, they go, oh, my goodness, that explains everything. Now I understand why my husband, blah, 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 or now I understand why my daughter, blah, blah, or my colleague. And um, that changes the way I understand them entirely. And when you're so familiar with stuff, it's hard to believe that people are managing to operate without that resource. And without that understanding that we're just wired slightly differently to, or we we make, we choose to operate slightly differently from one another. I don't know how you navigate the world without knowing that now. So... I'm always surprised how sometimes the the real breakthrough moments are things that feel so fundamental to me in terms of my understanding of how, and how I navigate the world. I can't believe that anyone else is operating without them. Yeah. And what would those sure. be? Those kind of coaching tools that are just so
0: a part of your kind of subconscious now. What are they that mm-hmm. you you notice that you carry around in how you manage, how you run an organization, how you coach?
1: Gosh, I mean, they are real basics, I would say. So Transactional analysis would be one. I think now I can, say, I can sit in a meeting and go, gosh, something annoying is going on here. And what is that? I'm going, oh, there's a parent-child dynamic going on over here, which we need to address. Um, so that would be one. The colours would be another, mm. um, where I can, I can, you know, I think this season would be very interesting. If you think about the colours, people with lots of red energy you know this has been an amazing moment lots of change pivoting creation re-envision go 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 there's been lots of blue you know everyone's at home on their own you can fit a spreadsheet all day if you want to and you only have to hang out with the people you love Yeah. Um, yeah. lots of green energy you know like everyone's in crisis so you, you can legitimately talk about feelings all day on a one-to-one basis mm-hmm. but the yellow energy has been sucked out of the room. We get a quiz. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so true. And, and so, you know, that has been incredibly valuable for me over this last nine months. Going, how are we going to inject any yellow energy into what we're doing? Yeah. And, So, you know, my little box of tricks for our staff conference arrived yesterday and as many surprises as possible and, you know, keeping it high energy because actually anyone with strong yellow has been, you know, uh neglected i would say for the last eight months speaking as someone who think that's true and grow i would say would be the other you know how do you construct a conversation start by using grow you know how do you uh, delegate something think about how grow might be useful for that how do you start a sales pitch oh grow might be quite yeah. um, as a starting point for how you structure something yeah um, that's useful, and then the last one would be the cycle of experiential development, of which everything I ever do is built. And the
0: same. I think that's. I mean, it's my go-to for most things. Again, it is that question of, um, well, of course that presentation was rubbish because you didn't use the cycle of development. So yeah. you just don't realise that people don't know what that they don't know that they yeah
1: what like. well, I wonder why. And yes, I chaired a meeting on Thursday, which was a disaster because I did not think about the cycle of development for I planned it. And I was like, How could I not? Have done it? Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of start to think that I'm good enough to just wing wing it without contemplating that stuff and learn the hard way.
0: Yes. Oh joy. Always it's the spice of life learning the hard way, I find. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um. Totally. Joe, final question. I guess thinking back to before you had started at Resergo well before you created Resergo before you kind of become a coach what um, what do you think you would say to her now knowing all that you know and experiencing all you've experienced what would you say to, to that Joe, 20, 22 years ago
1: oh I'd probably say read more books and life gets easier I think I don't know that that's true for everyone, actually. But I, in my case, life has got easier. I think I, I carried a lot of angst in my 20s, which I managed to ditch later. And I think that would have been really nice to know when I was 20, that actually, actually, not even sure I was alert to my angst when I was 20. I probably would go back and say, you're carrying a lot of angst you don't need to carry. <laughs> and some of these things that you would, you think are true about yourself really aren't. Yeah. Um, and You've misread all kinds of situations and dynamics. Um, Yeah, gosh, we'd have a long chat. (laughs) There's a lot in that question. What is interesting, though, um, the Tara Moore brought the book "Playing Big." I don't know if you've ever read that, but there's an exercise in that. She's a coach. I did a couple of years ago, which I found really helpful, where she basically says, "You've got uh, imagine your inner mentor." And your inner mentor is you in your old age. Mm. And there's a meditative exercise that she leads you through. You can do it online, which I found incredibly useful in terms of thinking, gosh, one day, maybe I'll be this, as you say, this uh, unendingly resourceful. um, And I will have deployed those resources and I'll have this wisdom about me (laughs) Mm. from all these years of life but there's something interesting about there's the sort of what would you say to your younger self there's also what do you think your older self would be saying to you right now which I found a really useful resource actually to draw on and sort of gives you confidence that you've got something to bring now um, yeah. because you know that whatever brilliant thing your mentor tells you um, you're like well actually I've come up with that <laughs> yeah another spin on that question love that i love what you said about just
0: that angst in the 20s and that that will pass but also just that idea of actually what would the Bex, what would the joe who's you know bossed life she's 80 she's kicking back and just enjoying retirement what would she say to you now that's also a yeah powerful yeah powerful image to finish on um joe thank you so much